0: All right, everyone. Now, if you will, take out your Bibles with me. Let's turn to the book of Micah one more time. Micah chapter 7. If you're not familiar with the way a Bible is laid out, you can find Micah 7 in our main text today on page 929 of that Navy Bible on the pew in front of you. 929 on those Bibles. Micah chapter 7. Today we finish the book of Micah. Micah. We've gone through it verse by verse, uh, and it's always a chance when we finish a book like this, for me at least, I hope it is for you, to reflect on God's goodness to us through this particular book, these particular words, uh, in this particular time in our lives. Uh, I think back to all of the sermons that we've gone through and all of the ways that we've seen God's word in the book of Micah and how it's spoken to us in 2021 uh, here in the, the times that we live And I'm thankful to God for all of the things that he's done in my heart through this book. I hope you are as well. Next week and the Sunday after Christmas, we will be looking at the Christmas story from God's word. But today, we'll finish the book of Micah. Now, I think you would know what it means. You probably know what it feels like. We all know what I'm talking about when I say the phrase, basking in the sun. Now, it's cold out this morning. But think about the last time you just sat there and basked in the sun. Now, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm the worst at this. Do you ever go at, to the beach and just enjoy time in the sun for a vacation where it's nice and warm and hot and the sun's beating down? Well, when we go to the beach, I stay under the umbrella and I keep my shirt on the whole time and I keep a hat on the whole time. And if they sell like SPF 300, I'm going to get me some of that, all right? But some of you guys are the exact opposite. Some some of you guys want to go and like cook yourselves. Um, If many of you know Richard Martin, who was preaching before I came, and that's what he does. He goes down there and he just wants to spend every waking second uh, in the sun, and he'll come back ten shades darker than when he left on his skin. But we all know what it means to bask in the sun. Last week, we had a 70-degree day in the middle of December, and it was sunny, and even somebody like me wanted to get out in the sun, right? Not be in the shade, but in the sun and bask and feel the sun that day. Well, today, we are just going to bask in the steadfast love and the mercy and the grace and the compassion of God. That's what we're going to do all morning. In God's word today, just basking in the mercy and the compassion and the grace of the Lord. Let's read our text. We'll finish out Micah chapter 7 and consequently Micah the entire book today by going through verses 11 through 20 of chapter 7. This is the word of God through the prophet Micah. A day for building of your walls. In that day the boundaries shall be far extended. In that day they will come to you from Assyria, and the cities of Egypt, and from Egypt to the river, from sea to sea, and from mountain to mountain. But the earth will be desolate because of its inhabitants, for the fruit of their deeds. Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance, who dwell alone in a forest, in the midst of a garden land. Let them graze in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old. As in the days, excuse me, as in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt, I will show them marvellous things. The nations shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall lay their hands on their mouths. Their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent, like the crawling things of the earth. They shall come trembling out of their strongholds. They shall turn in dread to the Lord our God, and they shall be in fear of you. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever, because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham, as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. And so ends the Old Testament book of Micah. Now once again this week, as we did last week, I want to take the the text overall and focus in on a subtext within that text, uh, a a sub-piece of that text. We're going to focus in today on verses 18 and 19 specifically. Verses 18 and 19. And I want you to notice right off the bat... The beautiful contrast that exists within this book of Micah, a beautiful contrast how the book begins with words of judgment from the Lord. The book begins with words of indictment from God upon his people. The people of Israel have rebelled against God and so God lays out the case against them and says, my judgment is coming upon you. Many of the prophets of the Old Testament begin that way. The prophet is warning the people of the coming judgment of God because of their sin. But notice the beautiful contrast as we get toward the end of the book, and especially here, we see God's words of comfort and encouragement and compassion. Indeed, this book ends with some of the most comforting and encouraging words in all of the Bible. Specifically today, we're looking at verses 18 and 19. Now, notice how he begins in verse 18. Micah says, who is a God like you? Who is a God like our God? Let's just ask that question to ourselves. Let's think about that this morning. Who is a God like the God of the Bible? Now, if we're being honest, there's no other God at all, right? There there is no other God. There's only one God. There is no other God in existence. There's not a multitude of gods or deities. There's only one God. But the the idea here is there are other gods that are worshipped by other religions. Other deities that people ascribe worship to. Other gods that they claim. And in every other religion there is no God like the God of the Bible. There is no God like the God of the Bible in any other religion. Now, we're coming upon the Christmas season, right? One of the hallmarks of the Christmas season is showing how there is no other God like the God of the Bible. Why? Well, it's because the God of the Bible became a man. He came to earth. This is unheard of. In any religion in the history of the world that mankind has come up with, there is no religion where there is the God who becomes one of us and then experiences our weaknesses, experiences our suffering, and dies for his people. It's unheard of. In fact, it scandalizes many people who are familiar with the traditional religions of the world that God would, would die for his own people. I heard a preacher put it like this one time, he was speaking to a Muslim man, and the Muslim man was trying to explain to him that all religions are essentially the same thing. They're essentially different paths to the same God. And the way he said it was, God's up on a mountain, right? God's up on the top of a mountain, and your path up to the top of the mountain might be different than mine, but we all reach the same summit so all religions are the same so you know you're on this side of the mountain I'm on this side and we, we take different twists and turns and you've got your religion I've got mine but we're all essentially going to the same place to the same God and the preacher responded in a wonderful moment of, of brilliance probably given in by God and says no you see in the Bible the difference is in the Bible God comes down off the mountain to where his people are right that's Christmas That's the Christmas story God becomes one of us And so there is no God like the God of the Bible. But what's Micah's reason here? Let's look at Micah's reason for there's no God like you. Micah's reason is there's no God in any religion, anywhere, who forgives like this God. That's what Micah's saying. There's no God like you pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. No other God puts away sin and delights in loving compassion toward those who have rebelled against him. This God delights in showing love and compassion to people who have rebelled against him. Every other religion, when you think about it, is works-based. In one way or the other, every other religion in the world that mankind has come up with, and this makes sense because the religions that mankind has come up with, they're all works-based. And so, everyone has sin in these religions, but as long as your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, you can make it into whatever version of eternal life they have. But with God, it doesn't work like that. With God, you don't work your way into his favor. You don't work your way into heaven. You receive it by his grace as a free gift. What's it say in Romans 6.23, that wonderful verse that many of us know? Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the what? The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so wages are given when they're, they're owed to someone, right? You work and you receive your wages because you are owed those wages. But it's completely different with salvation in Jesus Christ. It's a gift. It's a free gift. And you don't earn that. You receive it by grace. You don't even deserve it. This gift is free for the taking to any who would come to God through Jesus. Anyone can get in on this. Anyone can receive this free gift. Anyone who would repent of their sins and confess Jesus as Lord and be baptized into his name, can receive this free gift. Now those are conditions, I grant you. Those are conditions that God has put upon his free gift. Right? This gift is not given undiscriminately to anyone and everyone who has ever been born. That's not how it works. God presents conditions to receive his free gift. We must repent. We must confess that Jesus is our Lord. We must be baptized into his name. But just because he puts conditions doesn't mean we earn it. We don't earn it. We simply come to him as he has asked us to come. And if we do that, anyone can get in on this. You don't have to have status to come to God and receive the free gift of salvation. You don't have to have money or power to receive the free gift of salvation. You don't have to be a certain kind of person. You don't have to have enough good works stored up in your favor. No, anyone, anyone can get in on this. Notice how Micah continues to talk about there's no God like this one. At the end of verse 18, he says, of God, he delights in steadfast love. He does not retain his anger forever, but he delights in steadfast love. He does not delight in punishment. He does not delight in affliction. He delights in, in giving away his steadfast love. This is God's very heart. This is the very heart of God, his steadfast love. Let me show you a, a wonderfully insightful verse from Lamentations, chapter 3. This little book of Lamentations written by the prophet Jeremiah. Lamentations, chapter three thirty-three says this. For he, God, does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. He doesn't do it from his heart. Now, God does punish. God does afflict. But what Jeremiah is saying in Lamentations is that's not his heart. That's not his heart. Those are like like a, an alien work of his. It's not his natural, we might say, work. We find this principle all over the Bible, that God's very heart is love and compassion and forgiveness, not wrath and punishment. For example, in Hosea chapter 11, we won't go there, but I'll just give you an overview. Hosea chapter 11, we see a picture of God's compassion and love for Israel overtaking his desire to punish them. In Hosea 11, God's being pulled in two different directions, and you can see it in his words. And he's saying, on the one hand, I, in my holiness and righteousness, I want to punish their sins. And yet his love and compassion wins out. His love and compassion for them wins out. We see in Ezekiel 33:11 that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. Many people see this God that we serve as a God who's just like rubbing his hands together, ready to strike someone down with his wrath for their sin. That's not what's going on with him. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Why? Well, 2 Peter actually gives us some hints on that. 2 Peter 3.9 says, God does not wish that any should perish. He doesn't wish that anyone would perish. Now, he's created this world in such a way where we have free will. God created this world from the very beginning, Adam and Eve. You can either choose me or not. You can either love me or reject me. God's created human beings with that kind of free will. And so not everyone will be saved, but it says it's God's will. It's God's desire, you might say, for everyone to be saved. He doesn't wish that any would perish, and therefore he does not delight in the death of the wicked. He does not delight in punishment. He does not delight in affliction. What does he delight in? What does he delight in? What's our text say? He delights in steadfast love. He delights to show mercy and compassion. This is his very heart. This is what he loves to do. Notice how it says he does not retain his anger forever. His anger doesn't stay forever, but what does stay forever? We see it all over the Bible. His steadfast love endures forever. There's a psalm that repeats that over and over and over again, almost beating it into our minds and heads. His steadfast love endures forever. His steadfast love endures forever. His steadfast love endures forever. Sometimes it seems like the psalm's going to go on forever, but it's a wonderful piece of poetry. His anger, Micah says, does not endure forever, but his steadfast love does endure forever. You see, sin pulls God in two different directions. Sin pulls God in two different directions because we serve a God who is both holy and loving. We serve a God who is both holy and loving. And so in God's holiness, when sin comes into the presence of the holiness of God, it evokes or it brings about God's wrath. And so in his holiness, God wants to punish sin. He must punish sin for him to remain a just and righteous God. That's what sin does to his holiness. But what sin does to his love, what sin does to his love is it causes his desire to forgive to come out. And so at the same time that he desires to punish sin, he desires to forgive sinners. And God found a way to do both. God found a way to both punish sins and forgive sinners. He found a way for his love to win out. More on that here in just a moment. Now I want you to notice finally the last statement that Micah makes in verse 19. Who is a God like this? This God, he casts all our sins into the depths of the sea. He casts all our sins into the depths of the sea. If you are in Christ today, this is what God does to your sins. He removes them from you. He casts them into the depths of the sea. The idea is that he takes away your sins and puts them in a place where you'll never see them or hear from them again. You can't even get to them. That's how far he removes them from you. This is what it means in Isaiah 43, 25, when he says, I I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. If you recall, in the esoteric sometimes book of Leviticus, in the middle of the book of Leviticus, there was this yearly ritual that the Israelites were to go, to go and do every year. It was an important ritual. It was an important day in the life of the nation of Israel. It was called the Day of Atonement. Leviticus 16 is where you can read about this if you have any desire to do so later. Leviticus 16 is pretty much the center of the entire what we call the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Because on this day, this is the day where atonement atonement is stressed to the people of Israel and made for their sins. How so? Well, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest... was to get get two goats. The high priest was to take two goats from the people of Israel. These two goats consecrated for this special purpose. The first goat was called the scapegoat. And what the high priest would do is he would take that goat and he would lay his hand on its head and he would confess over the goat all of the sins of the people of Israel. All the sins that he knew about, all the sins that he could remember. He'd confess all those sins over the head of this goat. And then what they would do is they would take the goat in the hand of a man who had it presumably on a leash, and he would take it outside the camp into the wilderness and lead that goat far off into the wilderness and turn it loose and let it go. And it would just leave. It would go away from the camp until you couldn't see it anymore, signifying what God has done to the sins of the people of Israel, signifying what God does to our sins, He takes it away. He removes it far from us. Psalm 103 helps us in this. Psalm 103, starting in verse 8, says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth... So great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Notice how he says, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far God removes your sins from you. How far is that? Well, we, we live on a globe, Right? And so if you go east, you can just keep going forever. If you go west, you can just keep going forever. In other words, God removes our sins from us an infinitely far amount. As far as the east is from the west, you can't measure it. That's how far God removes our sins from us. But how? How does he do it? Because I'm here to tell you, in God's righteousness and in his holiness, he can't just sweep sins under the rug. He can't just say, oh, that's no big deal. He can't just say, yes, I, I know I, I threatened punishment if you broke my commands, but then you broke my commands and I, I just won't punish you. Right? God is not like the, the parent who threatens a punishment on their kid and then the kid blatantly does it right in front of them and they don't follow through on their word. God can't be like that. If he doesn't punish sins, he ceases to be God. He ceases to be righteous and just. How does he put our sins away from us? Well, on the Day of Atonement, there were two goats. The first goat was the scapegoat, but the other goat was the sacrificial one. The other goat was killed in the place of the people. You see, God does it at the cross, He puts away our sin at the cross through his own son, through the wrath poured out on his own son. You see, God so delights in steadfast love and mercy and forgiveness that he was willing to pour out his wrath on his own son so that he could give those things to us. God so delights in steadfast love and mercy and forgiveness that he was willing to pay the ultimate price to have those things realized. You see, you can see how much someone delights in something by how much they are willing to pay to get it. All of us, it's true for all of us, right? I might ask you, how much are you willing to pay for a guitar? And you might say, uh, like $10, because I don't care about guitars. But you see, with me, it's different. Right, I'm I'm willing to pay, uh, uh, what Jennifer would call obscene amounts, for a really nice guitar. Right, you 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 understand what people delight in by how much they are willing to pay to get it. That's why Jesus said the kingdom of heaven has to be for you. It has to be like a treasure hidden in a field, and that man who finds that treasure in the field, he he buries it back. He goes away and he sells everything he has liquidates everything he has so that he can buy that field and have that treasure. It's worth everything. We'll we'll give whatever we can to get it, right? That's The kingdom of God has to be like that. So you see how much someone delights in something by how much they're willing to pay to get it. Well, God delights in steadfast love and mercy so much that he was willing to pay the ultimate price to give them to us. And I'm not just talking about passively giving his own son, which he did. I'm also talking about how he actively punished his own son. Isaiah 53 says he crushed him. He poured out his wrath on his own son. He cares that much. He delights that much in steadfast love and mercy and forgiveness that he was willing to do that so that he could give it to you, so that he could give it to us. Therefore, if all of that is true, therefore, no matter how much you have sinned, no matter how badly you have sinned, you can find love and forgiveness and mercy with Jesus Christ. No matter how much. You might think, listen, everybody else in here kind of has it together, but me? No. If you knew what I did, right? Everybody else in here is is a re- respectable person, but I have piled them up. I am the worst of sinners. You can find mercy and forgiveness at the cross. In fact, God delights in that. It gives him more glory when he forgives a bigger debt, right? He gets more glory for that. You can find love and forgiveness and mercy at the cross of Jesus Christ, no matter how much you have sinned, no matter how badly you have sinned. As the Puritan Richard Sibbs once wrote in his wonderful book, The Bruised Reed. There is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in us. That's beautiful, isn't it? There's more mercy in Christ than there is sin in me. You cannot outsin the mercy of Jesus Christ. You can't do it. Now, not everyone will receive the mercy of Jesus Christ, only those who turn to him in faith and repentance, but you can't outsin his mercy. You can't sin so much. To where it's, it's not forgivable anymore. It's too much of a mountain for his mercy to, to climb. You can't do it. Everyone can find mercy and forgiveness and compassion with Jesus Christ. There is no God like our God. There is no God who has become a human being and suffered for his people and died for his people. And there is no God that delights to give steadfast love and mercy and forgiveness to those who have rebelled against him. Who is a God like you? With that, we're going to take some time right now, brothers and sisters, to pray. To pray silently. We're going to give a few minutes, as we do each week, a few minutes for us to respond to the word that God has just laid on our hearts. This time of prayer The silent prayer right now is for you, for you to respond to the Lord in whatever way you need to, because as you know, God puts his word into our hearts and convicts us through his word in different ways, individually, each one of us. So we're all going to go to the Lord right now in silent prayer to respond to whatever he's just laid on our hearts. Then after a few moments of that, we'll come back. We'll have a time of public response for those who need to respond publicly to God's word. So let's pray.